and welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talk to Shakiba Shayani, the CEO and President of the Guelph Chamber of Commerce. If you want to talk about the local economy, it's usually a pretty good idea to start with the person sitting in Shayani's chair because the local chamber is usually at the intersection of government, business, and community. The chamber also plays a role in local elections by hosting candidate debates moderated by the president and thus creating a formal platform where those candidates can be vetted by the public. This week, the chamber posts the recorded Q&As that they've done with candidates running in each of Guelph's six wards, plus the mayor's race, and they do deviate from the live format that they've done in years past, but today, it's Shayani's turn to answer the questions. The local economic picture is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. If you ask any 10 people in Guelph what they think the number one issue of the election is going to be, you will get some variation on affordability. That could mean the price of food or gas, which city council can't do a lot to control. Or they could be talking about stagnant wages that aren't keeping up with the cost of inflation. But that's not something that council really controls either, because the mayor can't tell your boss to pay you more. Or they could be more likely talking about their rent or their mortgage, which council has some ability to change, but not really. As we're reminded all the time in politics, and you'll hear it again on this podcast, municipalities are creatures of the province. When it comes to these big systemic economic pressures, there's only so much that City Hall can do. So what can City Hall do? Well, they can help set the scene and establish the town as a place that's appealing to do business, and certainly Guelph presently has an advantage there. Our city often finishes near or at the top of many lists that take into account livability or fostering a good business atmosphere, and while that makes good copy in a press release, it's also rather reductive as business analysis. Lack of affordable housing doesn't really make living in Guelph inviting for anyone other than the ultra-wealthy. A lack of regional transit options doesn't make Guelph appealing to anyone that hates the rat race commuter culture. And the fact that a new state-of-the-art library is still an election issue after decades of debate doesn't say a lot about our dedication to city building. Are the economic issues of this election bigger and more complicated than just affordability. Shakiba Shiani will help us analyze this and other questions on this edition of the Guelph Politicast. We will talk about the role of affordable housing supply in encouraging business growth, why housing is just one part of the business fundamentals that we need to focus on, and why the goals of business leaders and the rest of the community are not as different as you might think. We also dig into issues around regional transit, the loss of so many different hotel rooms in Guelph in the last couple of years, and where our city stands in the great return-to-office or work-from-home debate. And finally, we will talk about what low unemployment numbers tell us about Guelph life, our chicken-and-the-egg strategy issue, and the issue that Cheyenne wants to get a full vetting before Election Day. So I caught up with Shakiba Shiani last week via Zoom. Okay, Shakiba Shiani, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, first, I guess where I will start is um, you're the head of the Chamber of Commerce, which is why we're talking to you. And, uh, you know, in terms of the 
you're the spokesperson for, uh, at large for the business community at Guelph. So um, maybe briefly to, to sort of set the scene, what are the sort of economic stakes of this municipal election? Sure. Um, the the economic stakes, their community stakes, and uh, arguably um, are the same stakes for all levels of government. Um, of course, municipal elections are unique um, in that uh, this is not about partisanship, but just about good, effective decision making, strong leadership uh, on behalf of community, at, at, you know, at, as a whole. And so. Um, so I would say, you know, our fundamental tenet is still in place, which is community well-being and economic prosperity are intrinsically linked. And so the soapbox I'm committed to is the one, you know, where we dispel the notion that there is a business community and then another kind of community that isn't really actually one and the same. And so um, like with all elected officials, you know, one of the strongest positions we have here is that um, it's incumbent on all of us actually in leadership positions, myself included, to influence, to strive for, for better and to call out what's not good enough, uh, to be willing to think differently about our approaches to challenges um, inside the spheres of our influence. I know we, my, myself personally, we're taking that very seriously. And of course, uh, we believe municipal officials should be doing the same. When you talk about not wanting to or there there is kind of no separation between the business community and the rest of the community um i th i think a lot of people have have that separation in their heads and i don't know and maybe you can talk about this is that a like a manufactured separation we've lived with all this time or is this kind of a new way of thinking that you know businesses are you know people who run businesses are also community members too and that they it's not a church and state kind of thing yeah, absolutely. I think we're we've been conditioned for a long time to hold these things um, as um, you know, like discerning them as separate, um, as a way of managing them, as a way of thinking about how we address things and how we engage folks and so on. I think it's always held true that um, that we should be thinking about these things more comprehensively, uh, more holistically, and and that's this interconnectedness has always been true. But I think actually the pandemic did a really interesting job of highlighting how linked and interconnected issues of health, for example, are to issues of economic prosperity and how we need to get away from this false narrative that uh, when you talk about the economy, you are putting something or somebody ahead of another thing. And, you know, I really believe that that is not true uh, and not an effective approach to uh, holding, um, you know, to, to creating change. And um, and so I really want to challenge anyone that believes that we those things are not both true at the same time they're two truths and um and we need to work on figuring out how we meaningfully talk about both uh, and bring both to the table both lenses all lenses to the table when when addressing any one given issue you know no matter the label or the box it sits nicely in well you're kind of opened the door to talking about sort of economic issues around the pandemic i, I know that in like really big cities where there are big hulking office towers there's this right. debate about people working at home versus people going into the office to work in terms of like how things are shaping up Guelph, we don't have two terribly sort of like big office buildings that are like have one company is filled like we can think of a couple of examples of course but 
in terms of that working from home, working from the office dynamic, is that an issue um, you're seeing in the, the community here that, you know, we have a lot of office space for rent and maybe a workforce that doesn't want to return to a commuting culture that uh, they may have once enjoyed or not enjoyed as the case may be. <laughs> right. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are now able to see how it might be possible to strike an effective balance between home and work and uh, recognize that there's flexibilities and opportunities inside of that. And, um, you know, that when we talk about, you know, cliche statement of the future of work, we have to be considerate of that. And that's, you know, that there's been, um, those pressures have been on business for a long time. And then of course, you know, the pandemic exacerbated uh, the opportunity to shift to hybrid, for example, which is the direction a lot of folks are going in. There's a ton of flexibility and a, a lot of economic positivity in creating flexible work environments for people where there's an opportunity to do that. So in office, especially, and there's a, a strong recognition uh, for not just uh, folks in leadership positions, but um, everyone up and down the chains inside of an office that there is value to working with and alongside colleagues and peers. And, and that's just something you can't create virtually. There right. is something that happens by, I say, osmosis when you work next to a colleague, um, when you are able to have casual conversations between meetings um, and a, a more creative and communal sense of accountability um, when you're in person. And so most common, what I'm seeing as far as a trend is a hybrid, an opportunity to create uh, flexibility, but also um, a commitment to, to teamwork as well. Part of that might involve uh, four-day work weeks as well. I mentioned that because we're recording on Friday, typically the fifth of the the five-day work week, but um, that is a trend uh, that that companies are exploring as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this isn't about being prescriptive on what that flexibility looks like. I think a four-day work week can work. You know, personally, I'm really results driven. And so if we have uh, clear expectations on what we're trying to achieve in a given day or a week or a month or a quarter, then when that happens is less of a priority than if it happens and what's what's needed to make that happen. And so four day work week is definitely one option. Um, and, and just general flexibility um, is is really kind of fundamental inside of that. Mm hmm. You know, you talk about being results driven. Um, it, it makes me think then, you know, there are a lot of companies that are making the push on like you have to be in the office like three days a week or four days a week or whatever. Um, I, I guess, you know, you appreciating that all businesses try to be flexible and textile and, and try to, you know, surf through the the various challenges and, and trends and things like that. Um, is there a concern, you know, what if we have like big companies that, you know, aren't that flexible, that aren't that um, open to, you know, this whole quiet quitting trend, you know, that, you know, employees seem to have a lot of power now and companies that can't change with their employees, you know, get stuck in, I guess not, you know, get stuck in, in their old way of thinking, can't grow, can't attract people. It's, it, it, you know, it can be a mess. 
Sure. You've nailed it. It's problematic. I think that if a business wants to stay competitive, it's constantly looking at how it attracts talent, like you said, how it innovates, um, how it invests in itself um, and its community. Um, I think we recognize that, you know, uh, a resilient business model is one that thinks about people, planet and profit, for example. So uh, if you're not if you don't have those key considerations in mind, you will have a hard time scaling, growing um, and uh, being seen as an effective partner um, inside of community. I think the big issue if, for most people in this election, if you talk to the candidates, you talk to voters, is affordability. And usually the biggest piece of that is housing affordability. And I have heard you talk a bit about this at you know, council meetings. And I think it was addressed at the, the mayor's state of the city as well, that um, if housing isn't affordable, uh, companies based here will have a, a tougher time attracting talent. So how is, how is affordability, you know, tied to uh, the ability of local businesses to be uh, successful? It's a good question. Um, and, you know, you'll see one of the kind of fundamentals that we put out around uh, priorities for exactly what you're talking about is this need for us to always have a holistic look on issues. Um, and um, so, you know, if we want a productive and well community, an economically prosperous one, we need to have one where people can afford to live and work inside of that. So if we want, you know, if Guelph is going to be a place people choose to come, uh, it needs to be a place where there are good jobs, and there is, you know, accessible opportunities and services for all, uh, which means we need to prioritize um, housing, we need to prioritize reliable transit, we need to prioritize access to healthcare and services. Um, we need to work closely with post-secondary institutions to identify how we keep skilled talent in, in our community. And that's not done just by looking at each of those issues independently, but mm. really finding the interconnectedness inside of that. And so, yes, you will always hear me um, you know, delegate to council or certainly champion this idea that, again, these things are connected and uh, it's incumbent on us to make sure that we're thinking about people holistically um, when we think about meeting the needs of business as well. So is there a danger then? I mean, we're, we hear this all the time. Um, certainly I cover the issue. Um, houses are super expensive. Um we, you know, healthcare, as you're talking about, well, we have a hospital that's getting older, we need a new hospital, ambulances are lining up, you know, that's in the news. Uh, transit, uh, a lot of people, myself included, are pretty critical of our transit options here. And so is, is there like a concern that, you know, um, all this sort of critical coverage of these areas that it, it it's, you know, that's not good PR, as it were, if you're trying to attract businesses to Guelph or trying to encourage businesses that are here to expand further in Guelph. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's important to be critical and put a critical lens on the, the delivery of service. Um, the, and, you know, when we think about the value um, of service uh, that we create, we want to make sure we're maximizing that. And that is incumbent on the municipality. Um, 
and uh, and what it takes really is uh, commitments to a collective vision for the experience of those who live, work, and play in Guelph. And so if we're really clear and intentional about what we're trying to achieve, then it will be easier to say yes to the things that are required to achieve those outcomes. And, And again, this is where we sometimes see the tension between the decisions, the vision that we think counselors and, and and the municipality have for the community they're trying to build and the decisions that they make right. in an effort to get there. And, and we do need to hold folks accountable um, to that. That's, you know, talking about vision versus reality, a lot of what ends up driving that reality is bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I think you would agree that if, uh, you know, when we're talking about maybe spending five percent more ten percent more that has a definite impact on you know people's you know uh property tax bills and i think you would probably be one of the first where if city council says we're we're increasing property taxes ten percent so that we can build the transit system of the future or something that doesn't sell either no you're right and (laughs) and it's a balance it's about striking that balance you know we a lot of things are important and we want a lot of things. And in light of these kind of inflationary and affordability pressures, we have to decide what's a priority, what we're going to invest in and in which order and keep some fiscal anchors in place along the way. And um, and that's where I think sometimes we lose sight of and then all of a sudden have the results that we have of, you know, I think close to a 10% uh, tax increase over two years. I mean, which is pretty unheard of. And, and it not only hurts, uh, you know, business prosperity, it, it's really the the wallets of families and individuals. And, uh, and frankly, it, it doesn't create a competitive climate for investment for growth in Guelph. And so, again, it's incumbent on our elected officials to think about what's fundamentally necessary to achieve the outcomes and the results we want for our community. And then, you know, you know, deliberately and intentionally pull on the levers and the opportunities in the right order. And that takes some strategic vision and and some consensus building, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. I do wonder though, and I don't, I don't honestly don't expect you to have an answer. If we, (laughs) we kind of have the patience for strategic thinking, I'm not sure that we do. Uh, You're right. (laughs) And I think the reason it feels like that is because in some ways the pressure feels so acute in this moment that we, it's like, we need a fix yesterday like you're saying and so i i can appreciate that feeling um and there are ways to alleviate that pressure like you know i really picture a pressure cooker moment (laughs) that we're in what can we do to alleviate some pressure and what are those identifiable quick wins and which may require by the way you know looking at ideas differently reshoring the things that we have access to and the assets and investments and plans that we have and then take a minute and it does take some patience and some courage and some strategy to lay out the, the next steps uh, outside of that but we have the we have the tools 
Um, and, but we do need to, we need a plan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think if we can communicate a comprehensive plan forward, you'll actually find that that does buy some patience as well. Mm -hmm. You might be right. Uh, I, I do want to stay with transit for a second. Um, especially regional transit, because I think it's kind of, um, we kind of know just sort of anecdotally from our, our friend groups and our, our business relationships. There's a lot of mobility in between Guelph, the Tri-Cities, different mm-hmm. places around here, um, all even all the way to the GTA and, and Toronto. Mm-hmm. But we also know that transit, regional transit options are not where we would like them to be. Um, certainly, if you want to get directly to Kitchener, you have you know, the go train and th- there's a new service, the Flix bus, but not developing like real sustainable, consistent regional transit options um, so that people can ha- sort of have that freedom of movement from Guelph to other places and from other places to Guelph. Is that having a business impact? Of course it does. Uh, and you're right. I think transit uh, as a, a tool of mobility, like you said, that the movement of people and goods, generally speaking, is a key uh, need for business. And, um, you know, as of late, it's become more and more unreliable and more and more unaffordable and certainly much more fragmented um, than needed. And that's a consequence and a symptom of piecemealing the solution over several, several years. And so, we are seeing some, again, holistic and comprehensive plans on for both um, you know, local transit. You have master planning that's going on. Um, there's some uh, interregional transportation plans um, that are both provincially led and also led by anchors in, say, uh, Toronto and, and Waterloo Region. Um, you know, we have seen some progress on the two-way all-day go priority area and an increase um, of, of service and and um, faster service which is great to see but again if if this is going to be effective we do need to create uh, a purpose and common vision for what we're trying to drive across regions so mm. uh, between communities and not just insularly inside of each independent municipality. We know that geographical borders are um, antiquated uh, models of, of for planning because people right. live, work, and play in different communities. And so uh, it would be incumbent upon uh, the, the, the province and uh, the municipalities inside of that to look at what does it look like for people who are trying to get between communities and um, and how do we create more effective uh, modes of transportation? Yeah, and before I leave this, though, you're talking about piecemeal planning, and but I feel like we're we're doubling and even tripling down on piecemeal planning. That you know, the there was a letter last year. Um, I think you were co-signed to it from the mayor and and uh, the University of Guelph president that uh, to to the transportation minister saying like, hey, we need transit options. And her response was like, well, we've like kind of opened it up so that anyone who wants to, you know, start a bus service, they can. Voila, problem solved. Um, you know, that it does feel like the solutions you're talking about, bringing people together, it does feel like we've kind of been left out to sea um, to develop like 
to, to the point where the piecemeal solutions are the only solutions. And if we have to, if we have to have any solutions, we have to just go with that. Yeah, I, I hear you loud and clear. And <laughs> it is frustrating when we get those kinds of responses back. Although that, you know, that is our job is to continue to push for better and, and, um, but, you know, and while we do that and advocate for that, you know, upstream to say upper orders of government, I still think that that does that's not an excuse for us locally not to, mm. you know, rethink what we're asking for. And in fact, even put into motion and implement solutions that we know are necessary. Sometimes it requires um, you know, the grassroots approach to solution generation that then we bring, say, to the province or upper orders of government. You know, you build enough constituency that they can't say no to, to the option. And I think that the municipalities in our region, Guelph, KW, Cambridge, Hamilton, you know, Niagara region, and up and down the corridor to Toronto, there's work that could get done where the responsibility and jurisdiction lies directly with the municipality, they will always say that there's not enough funds to do this, but right. what's actually required is a reimagination and a reshoring of the, what the resources and, and people and assets we do have. Um, because saying we can't um, is not the real answer we need. Right. What is it? What are the obstacles and how do we overcome them and what can we try? And, uh, and I think that, especially over the next four years, we're going to need to be asking those kinds of questions to our elected officials. Um, you know, saying that it's outside jurisdiction or we just don't have the funds <laughs> right. is not good enough. And I really, you know, want to implore that that's the sentiment we all need to carry forward um, is not an instinct to fall on. Well, you know, it's not my job or it, it just can't happen. But instead, well, what's in the way and how can we overcome that? I worry that's another thing like the patience portion of this where it's like, you know, and we, we do have this trend where it's like, let's get back to normal. You know, COVID, you know, was two and a half years ago. Let's go back to, I guess, December 2019. And, you know, the way that, you know, we'll pick up where we left off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not a proponent of that. I think where we left off was leaving a lot of people behind and arguably uh, a disservice to the success and prosperity uh, that we have as a, as communities and as a, as a province and as a country for that matter. So mm. um, let us not try and go back to something, but instead build something that is more inclusive and that is uh, greater and better for for everybody. Um, I do believe that. I do think it's possible. Um, it's just going to require some committed leadership and again some intentionality about the communities we're trying to build. Fair enough. Um, another area I wanted to ask you about, and and we're we're kind of trying to get, and we're not alone in this, trying to get like the travel industry back, having people come mm -hmm. to town, whether that's for conferences or tournaments or you know events like the jazz festival or what have you in the last couple of years though we've lost well technically we've lost two hotels there's another one that's on the block so to speak um we have a hotel in the north end that's essentially supportive housing right now um are, are we i'm trying to figure out how to phrase this you know are we kind of focused on the goal 
of increasing tourism without appreciating that maybe we don't have the the same tools that we had before. Again, it's this kind of trying to get back to normal thing, realizing that in the last two and a half years, there have been pretty drastic changes in, you know, how we host, you know, people coming here for whatever reason. Yeah, that's a great question. And you're it's a, one of those chicken or the egg things. It's <laughs> Do we need more hotels so that then we can host and hold more things? Or do we host and hold more things so that there's a reason to have more hotels? And, you know, I am really excited that the Guelph Chamber is involved in the um, uh, in the creation of a strategy on, on how to address exactly this. So the municipal accommodation tax, as many folks know, um, is a really good tool for a community to be able to address exactly what you're talking about. Uh, we have lost accommodation providers and that will have a direct impact on the funds that we have to access to be able to implement ideas and projects and so forth. But fortunately, I think we're in a really great position to be building from you know, the place that we're in, which is one where we have a lot of really great assets, by the way, we have, we still have lots of accommodation providers, we still have lots of great um, you know, value proposition for our for our city in, in tourism and in hospitality and sports and conferencing and so on. And so let's build from there. But we don't have a lot of time to lose, because the last thing we would want to see is, is a decrease in in those um uh, you know, for example, hotel uh, providers and so on. And so for us, one of the first things we'll be doing is getting in touch with folks right in the industry and recognizing that they were they have been the hardest hit. They mm. they were hit first. Um, they were down the longest and they're the last to be able to regain some momentum. And right. so in light of that, what are the investments we can make up front? How do we incentivize the outcomes we're looking for, uh, what are the, um, you know, decisions and, um, and plans that we can put into place that it includes the sector, uh, gives them capacity, and then in turn creates more opportunity for people and experiences here in Guelph. So that is the, the aim. And, uh, and I have confidence that we're going to be able to pull it off. It's going to be challenging, uh, mm. undoubtedly, but I think there's a collective commitment from those in the sector, uh, you know, all hands on deck to, to make this successful. Yeah, I think it, it probably going back to July, August 2020, maybe it made sense to uh, <laughs> sell your hotel, uh, because uh, you you might remember at the time, you know, everyone's like, we never have to go anywhere again. We have Zoom. <laughs> it's, you know, maybe hearing that one too, one too many times made people rethink uh, being a hotelier. But um, oh, the, the overall kind of employment picture. And again, this was kind of true before the pandemic. Uh, we have a pretty good employment rate here in Guelph. Um, I know that interesting story i was waiting for the bus the other day and there was a, a sign up in the bus shelter inviting people to employ at a specific tim hortons location so i guess they're so eager and desperate to find people that they'll throw up uh, help wanted signs at the local bus stop to try and get people in but uh the picture you know when just you know speaking as someone who's not necessarily business-minded myself is you know we, we have a lot of really great opportunity here uh it seems like everybody's employed but again it's that affordability piece if, you know people have a job doesn't necessarily mean they can afford here 
uh, afford to live here or, you know, enjoy the amenities or other cost of living things. You know, they have to have, most people will say they have to have a car because transit's inadequacies and things like that. I guess the question is, what am I missing? Like, how how are these kind of two things, how are these two worlds able to sort of live together here? That's a great question. And um, reconciling those truths is the work before us, just to say, so I don't have the perfect answer for sure. this, but you you have first and foremost hit uh, on the, the, you know, the notion that I was setting from the outset here, which is that these things are so interconnected. And so if you're not creating reliable affordable transit and if there are not if there's not a spectrum of housing availability for folks um, and so on you're only going to perpetuate the uh, deficiency we have in, in you know in labor mobility right now and, and workforce uh, shortages that we're seeing and so we have to again take that comprehensive lens and think of all of the the parts that touch on um, creating places that are great to live work and play and then we really have to think about how do we prioritize a plan that you know fosters the the the, the supports the, the supporting um notions like housing and transit and also ones that think about skills matching and uh, meeting real-time employer needs and thinking about the sectors and industries of the future. And and so again, a comment on government is thinking about how they should effectively invest in programs or institutions that focus on those priorities to ensure that we have the right talent in, in Guelph and to attract new talent and uh, employment opportunities as well. And so um, this gap again, exacerbated by the experience of the pandemic um, is, is tricky and, and, and complex. And I know that's not always a helpful answer to hear, but there's layers of intervention that we have to keep in mind. How does immigration fit into all of that? How does um, AI fit into to, to, to all of that as well? And, and the direction we're going in, you know, work-life balance and future of work, like I said. So mm. uh, we need to identify we need to be really clear on the picture and then figure out exactly what we need to, to fill the gaps. And to your point, those statistics, Canada results um, don't always paint a comprehensive picture. So you're right. right. People might have a job, but is it precarious employment? Is right. it paying a living wage? Um, and, and so on. And so these are all considerations for us to hold. And um, again, I would just, um, you know, want to be the one that always champions um, this idea of holding multiple truths at a time and being willing to see, uh, you know, to take a 10,000 foot lens on any given issue to see how we might effectively address it. It just it feels like we're kind of reaching a state where it's like, I'm a company, I have 10 jobs for like a very specific skill set. Um, and here are 10 people who are looking for jobs and they don't have that skill set. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's kind of no no place you can kind of meet in the middle because I'm, I'm, a, I'm creating a specific product that needs specific people to do specific tasks. And I have, we, we have these 10 people over here are looking for work, but you know, they, they don't necessarily come with a specific skill set. They they're good generalists or they, they have different skills. I guess that's what I'm worried about. If that's a direction we're heading here, where there's just people in Guelph who have maybe lived here all their lives, have no interest going elsewhere but get left behind because there's no 
job that fits their skill set. Yeah, and and this is why skills matching is such an important part of of uh, the intervention required here, um, which is you know there are opportunities and programs. Um, from government, but also from, you know, we have folks inside of our network, uh, like the, um, like immigrant services or second chance employment, um, and different other employment service agencies that are, they, they are, you know, funded to, and their mandate is to support folks who are having a hard time connecting uh, those dots. It is an employee's market in this moment. And so there is no better time than now to think about how you convey your ability and capabilities to meet the demands of, of jobs now. And there are folks who can really help do that. And so really recommend uh, people getting in touch with those kinds of services. If you're not familiar, you can always reach out to the chamber and we can help direct um, your question accordingly. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it is incumbent on people to think about how they continue to meet the evolving needs in, in, for employers and in, um, in the sector or industry that they're interested in. Uh, I was at a, a thing a couple of weeks ago and somebody was talking about the digital deluge of information. Uh, job hunting is kind of like that too. It's not like you go to, you pick up a paper, you look at the want ads, uh, you find the job that, that fits you and you apply, you know, there's indeed there's LinkedIn, there's yeah. the, the Canada job bank. I don't know if it's still called the job bank, but that it, the, the site yep. is still the same. Yeah. Um, there's posting signs in the bus shelter. <laughs> yep, <laughs> they're all still a, they're all still in place. You're right, and they're effective. And you're right, it dilutes. It, it kind of makes it harder to know where to go and what to put out there. But there are folks whose um, whose work it is to help with this. Again, it's a little piecemeal and fragmented, yeah. but but the, the services do exist. Um, you know, I, I think also of our colleagues in workforce planning um, for the region. And so there's both job boards there and services and tools for employers looking for folks. And so again, just we, we there are tools. And so if you're not sure which ones to grab or, or look to, uh, again, I welcome a, a reach out. Okay, perfect. Maybe to wrap up, I've been sort of asking this question to all the candidates with the questionnaire I've, I've been doing through Guelph Politico. So I'm going to put it to you which is uh, to fill in the blank, you would be disappointed if we get to the end of this election without discussing what? I would be disappointed if we get to the end of this election without discussing, without discussing uh, effective leadership. One of the questions that the chamber asked uh, to candidates as well as you know what's required or incumbent of the next term of council and um, and a lot of people focused on issues and uh, projects and I think we need to be talking about what's required to make meaningful decisions and to um, be purposeful about the direction of the work and that requires strong leadership and a commitment to thinking differently and wanting better. So mm. those are the words I want to hear from, from candidates. And, um, and that's how I know which way I'll vote. Well, there we go. I won't put you in a corner by asking <laughs> who you're endorsing, <laughs> but uh, Shakiba, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I'm, I'm glad we had a chance to talk and make sense of the big business questions. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks. I appreciate you having me talk to you soon. And once again, that was Shakiba Shiani, and you can watch the seven different municipal election Q&As that are hosted by the Guelph Chamber on their YouTube channel, and you can learn all kinds of things about the Guelph Chamber of Commerce by visiting their website at guelphchamber.com. And that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, out of the University of Guelph. And to learn more about CFRU, go to CFRU.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, You'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, and you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out GuelphPolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we will see you next time.